Hi everyone, welcome to Camilla Cava Food Photography Podcast, a place where I interview talents in the food photography industry to help you and myself grow a food photography career. On today's episode, I talk with Joni Simon, a commercial food photographer, stylist and educator in the food photography based in Phoenix, Arizona. Along with working for a wide variety of clients, including cookbooks and digital marketing content, she is also well known to everyone as The Bite Shot, an educational food photography tutorial YouTube channel with almost 280,000 followers and Instagram of the same name with 105,000 followers where she shares the behind the scenes of her work. Johnny has recently also released her book, Picture Perfect Food, Master the Art of Food Photography in 52 Bite-Sized Tutorials. We talk about the topics such as how Joni started her successful YouTube channel, what it takes to shoot for a cookbook, pricing food photography, her new book and many, many more. So join us on today's episode. Hi Joni, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat. Yeah, it's a treat for me, actually. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been following you for so long right now on YouTube. You have such great videos. Thank you. I love it. Yeah. It's been fun. And, and yeah, and I love, I feel like uh, I whenever I see food being thrown around or drinks being thrown around, I'm like, oh, Camille's back at it again. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank it's you like your much. signature at this point. <laughs> I know, like action food photography. That's me. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, so Joni, for listeners that may not know you, could you introduce yourself? Yeah. So I'm uh, Joni Simon. I'm a commercial food photographer uh, and a teacher, a food photography teacher, which was mostly started out of my YouTube channel, my Instagram mm -hmm. account, uh, kind of has gone off in all sorts of other directions. But uh, yeah, I love to teach and I love food and photography. So pretty much wherever I can combine the three of those things together, I'm the most happy. <laughs> awesome. How long have you been photographing food now? Um, you know, it's one of those things that it's hard to track, like the exact like yeah. moment that it all started. I bought my, like I've been blogging off and on since 2007, um, in some sort mm -hmm. of like food blog format, you know, before food blogging really kind of, I think came into, um, being much more of a professional thing, you yeah. know, it was always just a hobby and fun. Uh, but I mm -hmm. bought my first DSLR camera in two. 2009, 2010, right around there. Yeah. Um, but I really didn't like hone in and really start to dig in and, and take control over it until probably like 2014, 2013. So it took a little while for me to realize like, oh, you know, if I can really learn photography, because I think it was very daunting and very overwhelming and seemed like, oh, that's only for like really smart people who understand like numbers and things like that. But, yeah. Um, but lo and behold, you know, as you start to dig into it and you start to, I'm sure we've all had those experiences where you learn a little something and you go, oh, this is maybe not so scary as I thought. And then, you know, little by little, yeah. and then suddenly you hit this moment where then you're like, oh, I just want to learn all the things. And then, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Awesome. So how did you actually then, how did you learn? Did you learn everything yourself or did you took some courses or anything like that? Um, you know, when I first bought my camera, it was definitely just all trial and error. And I mean, you mm -hmm. know, I looked 
doing early work and, you know, and I don't know if I qualified as work. It was just me taking pictures and, you know, yeah. very clearly had no idea what white balance was or how exposure okay. worked or anything like that. Um, but, yeah. you know, had a sense of composition because I'd studied um, art history in college and it always had an uh, interest in visual uh-huh. arts. Um, but yeah, I would say it was really a lot of trial and error. And then once I really wanted to start digging into learning things like manual mode, I can't remember one specific. I do remember buying um, Pinch of Yum. They're well-known food bloggers in the food blogging space. And they had, mm-hmm. and I'm sure still have their Tasty Food Photography ebook. And I remember reading mm-hmm. that and being like, oh, these, these are some really interesting concepts. And I remember like kind of digging into the idea of aperture and um, exposure triangle. And so mm-hmm. those are helpful things, but there really weren't a ton of, I mean, there weren't YouTube videos to refer to um, specific to food photography. No. There was a lot of other mm-hmm. um, education in the other disciplines, but not specific to the kind of subject. So it was, it was always hard. And I feel like I made a lot of mistakes, especially learning like artificial light and other things like that, because mm-hmm. I was going off of what I was seeing other photographers and other mediums doing. And that doesn't always yeah. translate to food. And so I think that's why no. when I had the opportunity to say, hey, I can teach this stuff because I know that I had a hard time finding resources. And now, I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much education and it's so wonderful to see because um, yeah. there's also a lot of different ways that you can approach things. So it's wonderful to have so many different educators now uh, teaching food photography. And it's great to be a part of that. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like right now it's popping up more and more education and, and food photography is also becoming more of a thing than it used to be. I, I, I feel like because there's more and more food photographers popping up, which is, I think, a really, really great thing. Yeah, I agree. Because I think that food photography, you know, I've had conversations with other folks who've been in the industry much longer than I have, um, who've Mm -hmm. said, you know, food photography has always been sort of this funny little niche within commercial photography and, you know, probably misunderstood. But I think the rise of content creation and Mm -hmm. food um, from an editorial perspective has evolved and is now being seen differently and taken. Taken, maybe taken more seriously, not that it wasn't taken seriously, but that it is um, much more of a, a unique discipline and I think is is rightfully, um, you know, being recognized differently, you know, because I think when you look at, uh, you know, professional organizations, um, mm-hmm. the different photographer associations and the different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, camera companies and everything, always the focus is on portraiture and weddings yep. and, um, you know, yep architecture and and landscape and so it's like no food food is such a powerful thing and it's such a connected experience that people all like everyone experiences food you know and so there's a real connecting there that I'm excited to see um you know food photographers being recognized and pulled into ambassadorship roles and being pulled into leadership in different uh organizations and so uh yeah so so cool to be a part of that yeah, I agree. Very, very exciting. Awesome. So I was just wondering, what made you decide to share all your knowledge of food photography with others? Yeah, so it was, 
uh, probably around 2014, and I I had been um, I'd had a podcast all about local restaurants, and I was interviewing local chefs and restaurant tours, people in the food industry here to just help connect uh, diners to great places to eat and the stories behind them. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, I started taking a lot of pictures of food in the restaurants, and then I also started sharing my own recipes uh, on my blog. And so people local food bloggers who I got to know at different media events and just started to network with, started to say, hey, we really love your food photography. seems like you've got this kind of figured out. We would love Mm -hmm. you to teach us. And so Mm -hmm. I started saying, okay, well, let's just have some little workshops. And so I put together, I I don't know how many I held, but a handful of workshops with like six people and we'd get in there and, you know, play with the food. And what I realized though, is that I got tired of teaching them sort of what I felt like were some of the more basic technical things that I didn't want to continue to have to teach people aperture and ISO and shutter speed. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like if I can teach them that in some content before they come to the workshop and they have those sort of basics mastered, then when they come to the workshop, then we can have a lot more fun and do the creative stuff. So um, so Uh I created those YouTube videos so that I could share those with them before they got to the workshop so that they would feel more prepared. Uh But lo and behold, I did that. And suddenly there were, there were people, there were people on the internet who were like, oh, like the way you explain these things. And can you make a video about lighting? And can you make a video about working with diffusers? And can you make a, you know, and so then I would say the first and still most of the videos that I make are all based on what people um, request and are asking for. But for sure, like that first year and a half, I did not have to come up with any ideas because there was just this continued audience that continued (gasps) to build and asked for specific content that they felt like they had not, they either not found or they just liked the way that I taught things and found it um, found it helpful so that was that was a really cool thing to be able to build the channel um with with an audience in mind sick so you started and then you got content because people were asking questions that makes so much sense you build like then basically a channel for things that people want to know yeah, because right now I think you have like two hundred seventy-eight thousand subscribers. Am I right? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more wow. people than I ever imagined. You know, when I first started the channel, because I'd had another YouTube channel before that, sharing recipe videos, yeah. and that channel, you know, I I worked so hard on it, but it just never seemed to click, and it never seemed to gain any traction. And so I just always remembered thinking. Uh-huh. If I could get 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, like that would yeah. be like, I could die happy. That would just be the best thing ever. And so then it was like suddenly on this new YouTube channel, you know, having worked for two years on this other channel and not seeing growth, yeah. then suddenly to start this other channel about food photography and to see you know, we hit that 10,000 subscriber mark fairly soon in the process, like within the first year, I was just like, my mind is blown. This is absolutely incredible. So I, I never imagined that there were that many people interested in food photography. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you started what, three years ago, something like that, the channel, or was it longer time ago? Yeah, so the bite shot will hit uh, four year anniversary on September first. So just coming up on almost four years. Amazing! Wow. Okay, so for the listeners that would love to start a YouTube channel, do you have mm-hmm. some tips? How did how did you grow so fast? Like, 
Yeah, you know, I would love to say that I know the tricks and the algorithms. And, you know, I've taken classes and courses now since um, to see what it is that maybe, you know, I don't know about the platform. But I would say, yeah. you know, I've never really gotten into playing the algorithm or playing the game. Um, you know, I, I create the content that, first of all, I know that people have asked for and so they're going to be excited for. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then also content that I want to create because I do get asked mm -hmm. to create videos about stuff that maybe just isn't quite as interesting to me or maybe isn't interesting to me right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, ever since the beginning of the channel, I've gotten tons of questions about cell phone photography and it's just not been a topic yeah. that I'm like personally lit up about. Although now within the last uh -huh. year, I started to see, oh, you know, maybe this is something really fun to play with, but it, it, needs, to, it needs to be content that I think both has a desire from the audience perspective as well as a desire for me personally because creating YouTube videos is a lot of work. Uh, it takes a yep. lot of time and to do that consistently over and over and over again, like you've got to be excited to do it. Um, yeah. But I would say, you know, in terms of that growth, it's really about finding something that you can either it's I kind of boil YouTube channels down into two categories, especially in the food realm, you know, when I think about food YouTube channels, and I, I think it's a good discipline mm -hmm. to just even think about, you know, what are the YouTube channels that you follow? And why do you follow them? Um, but to me, in the food space, it just always boils down to kind of two different perspectives of either it's content that's super entertaining, right? So somebody with mm -hmm. like, who's really funny, or really entertaining or exciting, which I mean, I feel yeah. like I have my own personality, but I'm not here to be a comedian. Um, so I wasn't going to necessarily mm -hmm like win people over in that regard. So either you're entertaining or you've got something that's super helpful and that's helping people solve problems. You know, I think about my favorite, um, you know, blogs and YouTube channels, like they're helping me solve a problem. Like I think about yeah. like the, the blog, The Modern Proper. I love that blog because I know that the recipes always work. The recipes are all super mm -hmm. easy, but impressive and they're delicious. And so that, that solves that problem. And I think that like my YouTube channel, the difference between the cooking content that I was doing is I was just another, you know, chick on the internet Blogger. cooking food, yeah. but it wasn't really either a entertaining or especially helpful. So when I right. created the thought, then I've got content that is uniquely valuable that isn't that people aren't able to maybe find elsewhere or it's um, I do think that there is something in the way that I teach that's unique and helps mm -hmm. connect people that breaks down complicated things. So, so it's uniquely valuable in that sense. So I think that if you have one of those two things as you approach a YouTube channel, either something super valuable or something super entertaining, um, that you'll see that growth happen. So I don't worry about keywords. I do really put a lot of thought into and continue to work hard at um, thinking about my thumbnail photos and the uh -huh. um, title of the video, not necessarily from a keyword mm -hmm. perspective, um, because from YouTube perspective, it's not like a Google search. It's not like the majority of my traffic, none of, not much of it, maybe less than 5% comes from search. Like if somebody searches food photography, oh, yeah. I'm bound to uh -huh. pop up in that search. But most of it mm -hmm. is based on somebody watching another piece of content. And then I'm either in the sidebar or the recommended video. Uh -huh. 
forward. Uh And so in order to catch the traffic coming in from either that referral sideboard or um, after the video plays, it's all about having a thumbnail that kind of pops out and helps you understand without even reading the title, would somebody know what that video is about or would it, would it like connect with them? Um, and I always too, I mean, Lauren Karras and I kind of laugh about this cause she YouTubes as well and teaches food photography. And we yeah. always laugh like when we both started, um, and I think we do less and less of this cause it doesn't necessarily always feel authentic to us, but like all the like surprised faces yeah. and like those crazy thumbnails, yeah. but there's uh-huh. a reason that people do that is because visually when you're scanning YouTube thumbnails, you look for people's faces and we uh-huh. connect with other people's eyes. And so by having like these uh-huh. crazy faces on a YouTube thumbnail, um, it's more apt to get clicked on as opposed to maybe a beautiful picture. But I think that there's there's different things that you can do, but also understanding those thumbnails are teeny tiny. So I always do like a little mental test for myself as I put a thumbnail in there and I look at it when it's really small and see, can I tell what that mm-hmm. is? Like if I was just browsing, would I be mm-hmm. able to know what that video is about without clicking on it, without seeing the the description, would I be intrigued to click on it? So I do think that that is something that I put a a good deal of thought into it. Like I'm thinking about the thumbnail as I'm creating the plan for setting out the video. And I will sometimes even create the thumbnail prior to creating the video itself. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that intention, as opposed to just kind of like a little placeholder, because that's, that's what helps sell the video. That makes sense. I'm also thinking that it's actually a good tip for TikTok videos as well. When you put a TikTok video, you have to choose thumbnail and the thumbnail with a, with a face and maybe surprise. I bet that works too. So that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Those little movements and that little like getting it at just the right spot, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, there's there's thought that goes into that. So yeah, then, but then so- the other part of the equation being that once they do click on it, that it's content that they're continuing to watch. Um, sort so of a good baseline because you can see in your YouTube analytics as far as how long people are generally watching the video and yeah. it will show you, you know, if there's a spot where a lot of people are dropping off. And so uh-huh. that's like, what did I do in that moment that's causing people to navigate away? Uh-huh. Um, did I say something that indicated to them that the video was over? Um, uh-huh. you know, and and I, I don't get too keyed up on that because I at the end of the day, believe the people who want to watch my content will watch my content. I don't need to play too many games in order to mm-hmm. like manipulate the audience. You know, I'm like, if they stay great, if they don't great. Cause I do also come back to, um, there's something super powerful about word of mouth and that the people uh-huh. that find you because somebody else, you know, that you, you help somebody in their food photography and now they're going to go tell their friends that to me, that's much more um, powerful for long-term sustainability versus hoping the YouTube algorithm, um, you know, is, is kind to you. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And do you think when the quality of the video is important or content is everything in the thumbnail and good intro? Yeah. You know, I, it's so funny because, People have said I have great quality videos, and I would say, you know, they mm-hmm. they could be more produced, right? Um, I've I've always thought I don't want quality quality, right? Because I think quality means different things. But like uh-huh. in terms of 
production value. I never want production value to prevent me from creating a video Um, because sometimes I get these like big ideas about like, oh, I could do the video this way and then all this B-roll and then all this. And and then like I get to this point though where then I get overwhelmed thinking about, okay, that's going to, I mean, they already take a lot of time to put together, but just thinking Mm -hmm. about, oh, that's going to be even more complicated. And so then you start to like find yourself not doing the video at all. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I do think that, um, you know, audio is an important thing and that's something I, I've Mm -hmm. always, um, been mindful of. Uh, but I, I never want to, I always prioritize the, the quality of the information being delivered and that the, the production value is good enough. Um, but I do think that there's something too, that's a little bit more relatable. And especially I think depends on the audience. Um, to me, I, you know, my approach is always like, you know, I show my behind the scenes, I show the hot mess, I show the janky setups. I, you know, I've, I've improved my gear over the years, but I do think that there is a certain amount of when people see the content who are like me, right? So other people mm-hmm. like me who don't necessarily feel like they're super technical people, who don't mm-hmm. feel like, um, you know, that they necessarily came into photography in the traditional sense, right? They didn't go mm-hmm. to school for this and you kind of get a lot of that imposter syndrome, right? Um, so I feel like by me just showing up as me and not overproducing things, that it makes, that it kind of gives permission to the audience. Like, yeah, it's totally okay you can build a great successful career or create beautiful images or you know do things that make you happy and it doesn't have to be this like shiny perfect with all these really fancy I mean my gear again continues to expand you know for better for worse but um but I want people to know like you don't need all of that this is this is just you coming in and hanging out with me so um so yeah the the quality of the content over the production value every time for me Good. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, now to dive a bit more into details of creating YouTube video, like yeah. I'm pretty sure that you probably have it, but what gear do you use to, let's say, do you use one or two cameras when you produce it? And what about the sound? You mentioned that audio is very important. Do you have mm-hmm. some sort of microphone all the time, like chipped somewhere? Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um the audio, well, so as far as from a video perspective, most times, I mean, it's kind of changed and evolved over time, mm-hmm. but for the most part, um, any of the talking head stuff where I'm just talking straight to the camera is um, shot on a Canon 5D Mark IV. That's just mm-hmm. been my workhorse for years and um, great, great camera. But I mean, you could do this with really any DSLR. It doesn't need to be that camera. That's just what I have and what I use. Um, And then a really nice, large, soft light source. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that, again, has kind of changed with the various lights that I've had. Um, But, you know, the, I use the Aperture 300D, which is a popular YouTuber light, super bright LED light with a, with a large round soft box. So that's, that's the Uh setup for that. Um, But in terms of the, and then I, for the B-roll as of late, I've just been probably for the last year, I just shoot it with my cell phone (laughs) because the cell phones have a great visualization in them. Uh And I'm like, you know, I bought gimbals and I did all these things and I'm like, you know, making this more complicated. The cell phone does a great job. Uh And now too, like the cell phone that I have actually even shoots in 60 frames per second. So I can do like slow-mo footage and I'm like, oh yeah, much easier. Shoot it on my phone, airdrop it to myself. 
pop it into the folder and, you know, away I go. So, um, you know, because I'm also not necessarily, I mean, I think I could definitely up the B-roll game and make it more cinematic and more flashy. But again, I always yeah. try to make things, I'm always focused on making it instructive um, while also mm-hmm. keeping people's attention. So I'm like, cell phone gets the job done, then we're, we're good. Um, and then in terms of audio, I've got a wireless lavalier system. So uh, there's different ways that you can yeah. kind of rig that up for a lot of time I had a zoom recorder. Um, so not like zoom, the streaming service, but zoom, it's like a, another yeah. company that does recording devices. Uh, and then uh-huh. you just put the wireless receiver into that. And then I just wear my little lav mic, which is pinned to my shirt and that, that records it. And then you're able to combine the audio that's recorded, which mm-hmm. is quality audio then with what's coming out of the camera and do that all in Adobe Premiere and that syncs it up there. But um, I have transitioned mm-hmm. to being able to just plug that lavalier, that wireless receiver, that the receiver for the wireless lavalier, um, plugging that into an external video recorder that I use for recording the video. Um, kind of kind of complicated reason that that's come about. But yeah, there's, there's ultimately, I think that I did spend um, a bit more money on that lav mic. I want to say the setup was probably around $600, but I bought that mm-hmm. in 2015 and I've never had any issues with it and it still works great and it's great quality mm-hmm. audio. So, you know, considering how many videos I've made since 2015, I would say that uh, that that microphone has more than paid for itself. <laughs> yeah, that's a good investment then for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all these details. I think that's going to be very interesting for people to hear. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've got so those all linked. Now to dive got... in... Oh, go ahead. Nope. You? Oh, yeah. So I've what got a gear... Um, so just, if you go to the biteshot.com, I've got a gear yeah. page and linked all of yeah. the gear and kind of explains how it's all hooked up and connected. So that should hopefully help folks too, if they want to go, go find that specifically. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's useful. I'm going to include that in the podcast notes when the link, um, to the gear list. That's really good. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Awesome. So again, thank you for sharing about this. So now another thing I wanted to ask about you, if you still, because you have this big educational platform, of course, but do you still work with the clients at the same time? Yeah, you know, I... As a photography clients, I mean. (laughs) Right, right. So uh, less and less (laughs) Um, because it really is hard um, to balance both. Um, certainly Uh I do and I still have clients and I still take projects. I am very choosy about the projects that I take that they really need to be the right Mm -hmm. fit. Um, so I, you know, the, the prices go higher and the selectivity goes higher. Um, or if it's passion projects that I'm especially excited about, or when Mm -hmm. I find opportunities that maybe it's shooting for a client, but it's also something that can turn into content for me. So the clients I do work with, that's usually a conversation of like, Hey, is it okay if I'm shooting behind the scenes and filming and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's an upcoming, uh, virtual summit for food photography. And so the demonstration that I've got in that, Summit came from a photo shoot that I recently did for a client for their um, Amazon page. And so definitely there's still client work going on, but obviously not as much as if I was just solely um, working for clients because being able to kind of balance, balance the two things. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. So now you're in that position where you can choose which assignments to do. And that sounds amazing, I think. It is. It's really, it's, it's pretty fortunate. And it's, um, and it's, yeah, it's nice to be, be in that position. And it's nice too now having connected with the larger community, um, that, you know, there are a lot of leads and there's a lot of work out there. And so it's nice Mm -hmm. to be able to refer those to, um, friends and students and other folks like that. So, um, yeah, so I feel like the demand for food photography just continues to increase, you know, that more and more companies need more and more content, um, more frequently. And so there's, there's so much work out there. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. But then what would you say is your that ideal client that you just couldn't say no to the assignments? Besides, of course, the ones that are bigger, with a bigger budget and more exciting in that yeah. way. But besides that, what would be your ideal client? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I'm not super into the big high-end production. Like, mm-hmm. I really love working. Like, I've always said, and, and much of how I've oriented the photography side of my business is working with like mid-sized to large-ish national brands, but that they're, mm-hmm. that they're many times like family owned or they're in-house. Like, for example, um, you know, Coach's Oats has been uh, a client mm-hmm. for many years and, you know, they're family owned. I connect directly with, with the owners as well as, you know, their marketing team. And so, but they're big enough that they can afford professional photography mm-hmm. and that needs and ongoing needs, but they're not so huge that it turns into, you know, the dog and pony show and all the other mm-hmm. chaos that can come with a larger production. You know, I have a friend who, um, he does really high-end advertising work for really big multinational companies. And I just watch those photo shoots and I'm like, I am exhausted watching all of this. <laughs> so many people and so many moving parts uh-huh. and so much, um, so complicated, you know? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so that's great. And he, thrives in that environment. And it, as much as like, it also stresses him out, but he really um, loves that. Whereas I, I don't so much. I really like to connect with the clients and have those mm-hmm. ongoing relationships. Um, and I've had the chance to do a couple cookbooks in the last uh, couple years. And those have mm-hmm. been um, really fun, creative projects. So I think mm-hmm. that too, when there's something unique about the project, that's um, going to be going to express my creativity, maybe differently or a mm-hmm. unique challenge or a way I can grow. Um, those are, those are really fun to take, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, to me, it, it's much more so about the people that I'm working with um, mm-hmm. as opposed to necessarily like what it is that we're creating. Um Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had some, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, I had a really fun shoot with this past year it was with a hotel brand. Um, and I would say, you know, we were doing like prepackaged foods and the food itself wasn't like, especially beautiful, um, required quite a yeah. bit of retouching. but it, I was working with people who were so incredibly enjoyable and we had so much fun collaborating and putting ideas together and working through the challenges of, um, shooting frozen food and shooting things that aren't necessarily as is traditionally beautiful in the food realm. Um, mm-hmm. Those those kind of opportunities to me, it's much more driven by the people I get to work with. Makes sense, yeah. The team you work with. I was wondering because you mentioned that you um, you shot for the recipe book as well. So, mm-hmm. out of curiosity, do you price differently um, shooting for assignments like a recipe book versus the commercial assignments? 
Yeah, so each um, each estimate I make is custom. So it's created specifically yeah. um, with the idea in mind of, um, you know, how much how much time is it going to take to produce this? Uh, yeah. What sort of other expenses are going to be related to this? Um, where I think we see a lot of the difference between um, like advertising work versus something like a cookbook would be the licensing. Um, okay. And so... And two, I, it's scalable based on the size of the client and how much financial benefit they are getting from um, the use of these images. Because you know, when I, one mm-hmm. of the conversations that comes up that can be challenging is, and this just happened to somebody I was talking with recently, is that they were working with a client, kind of a newer food business, um, but with pretty large distribution. So you you would you know, you would in theory be charging some sort of licensing for the use of those images or at least, you know, charging enough to make it worth the time. And the person was having a really hard time understanding why the price to shoot this food in this packaging was so much more expensive in comparison to like shooting family portraits or, you know, shooting wedding portraits. Because, you know, those images are wonderful, but those images are going to a consumer who's going to hang them on their walls, but there's no financial benefit to the person, to the bride or to the family being photographed. Like it's just a wonderful memento. Um, Whereas a business is making money off the use of those images. And so as a commercial photographer, um, even if it's a cookbook, you know, that there's, there's the pricing for that is commensurate with um, what they're going to make off of that. But I do too, I think that there's other, you know, when you consider kind of the whole um, of an estimate is thinking through, okay, yes, there, there's financial compensation, but there are also situations where I'll take a job um, maybe where their budget can't necessarily fully afford what it is that I would traditionally charge for this, but maybe there are other mm-hmm. added incentives or benefits to me um, more than just exposure. Cause I, I don't, nobody, nobody needs exposure. We, we've all got plenty of exposure. Um, but you know, maybe it's that this is specifically yeah. what you've never done before. And so this would be a really great mm-hmm. addition to your portfolio, or this is the mm-hmm. chance to work with somebody who you've not worked with that's well-connected and may be able to connect you to others. Um, or it's just something that you're super lit up about and you're like, yeah, let's just like, let's make this work. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, this, the, the pricing definitely scales based on um, the size of the client, scope of the project, how much time it's going to take. But I would also say, you know, a, a cookbook in comparison to, an advertising shoot, the, a cookbook is a massive undertaking um, in terms yeah. of just the people to produce it, the amount of time to produce it, yep. uh, the production. It's it's massive, and so you know when we talk about shooting a cookbook for thirty thousand um, dollars, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Like that's fairly normal because of just purely how much time it takes to produce that many images. Um, yeah with, you know, depending on how many people we got to hire and how much other infrastructure and how much time it's going to take. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a, okay. You answered my question very well. Thank you very much. Because I I had the, I had the reach out for recipe book, you know, and then I calculated they needed like hundred pictures. So that was very hard for me, you know, compare this and this. And then the price was of course higher because of how much work is involved in something like that. But then the budgets, for making them or at least this one was extremely low so it's just something that didn't align so i wonder if that's you know if that's something that you ended up with as well 
Oh, yeah. And I would say um, I was talking to Andrew Scrivani about this recently about cookbooks in specific. Mm -hmm. Is that every single cookbook, I think both of us, you know, not everyone, but a lot of them, they they will come at you with, you know, okay, we want to shoot 100 images. And like they all, and it's like, okay, you know how much 100 images is. Another $50,000 budget. And they go, yeah. Oh, you know, and so it's also yeah. good to ask what's the budget ahead of time. But inevitably, anything yeah. starts out at a hundred, never ends at a hundred. Because I say, right. okay, okay, if you can't afford a hundred, what, where uh-huh. can, where can we meet in the middle? And so yeah. more often, you know, it comes down to fifty, or because. I, a lot of it too depends on the publisher, depends on the author, depends on a lot of different things, but they don't always need an image for every single recipe either. Right. So make the book shorter or, you know, there's a lot of different options in there, but, um, but yeah, you think about the scope because that's the other thing too. I think about every cookbook I've shot and yeah. even if you're only shooting, you know, for five or six days, it's still eating up the better part of like a whole month of my life. And so I think about what I'm sacrificing and yeah. other opportunities, um, in terms of my family life, exactly. in terms of my sanity, you know, like it's a big project yeah. Yeah. and the expenses that go along with that, um, you know, uh, yeah. from the standpoint of using props and surfaces and, you know, other team members and styling and things like that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's a very normal experience in the cookbooks world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Interesting. Okay, but speaking now of the books, you also launched your own book recently, didn't you? Yes, I did. Right? I did. So excited. Yay! Congratulations. <laughs> it's called Picture Perfect Food, right? Did I go right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Tell me, so how was the idea born? So um, the publisher, I'd been approached by two different publishers and kind of looking at um, yeah. kind of books that they had produced before. And um, one publisher was much more of sort of a traditional um, like textbook, like photography textbook company, um, whereas the other yeah. one was much more like arts and crafts and creative and did a lot of And so I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to write a textbook yet. Like, I just don't feel Mm -hmm. like that's where I'm at. I don't feel like that would be um, necessarily where the audience that, uh, that I work with would be at. But I thought, you know, we we could create something that's really creative and different and unique and, and would be very exciting for me. Um, and so then I started to think about, you know, there's different books out there that it's like mm-hmm. one, one lesson a day or one lesson a week and, you know, kind of like a devotional kind of book or something like that. And so I thought, mm-hmm. what if I did 52 lessons on food photography that then had some sort of like activity or action so that people uh-huh. No matter their experience level, even if they knew a lot of the lesson, but to, I always think it's so helpful to revisit things that you think you already know. Um, you know, when there's things like I remember when I, you know, I learned Aperture, right? We all know Aperture. We understand how that works. But then revisiting and realizing, oh, there's still more things to uncover about this and ways that mm-hmm. I can push my photography through trying different things because we can very easily get stuck in a rut too. So, mm-hmm. um 
but at the same time wanting to create a resource that would be super helpful for anybody who's, you know, literally just getting started um, because there's new food photographers starting every single day. And so yep. by having that resource that can really lay the groundwork, um, but at the same time too, getting into a lot of the creative things and also appealing to folks who are shooting with a shell phone or folks who are shooting with a DSLR or mirrorless, mm-hmm. um, that it helps to, it's, it's kind of a fun and creative way to exercise your food photography, no matter what your experience level or what you're shooting. So that, that was ultimately how the idea came about and, you know, uh-huh. talked to the publisher about it. And they said, yeah, we love that idea. That sounds like so much fun. And that would be a really easy way for us to package it. And so we uh-huh. kind of went from there and I put together um, the table of contents for the whole book and, yeah. you know, they said they loved it and then wrote about 10 sample chapters and then we were, then we were off. So uh, it was a pretty, pretty mm-hmm. wild ride, but I'm so excited now to see it out in the world and see people creating based on stuff that they've seen in it and lessons they've learned. So that always like, that's my, that's my favorite thing. When I see people learn something new or try something different, uh, that's just yeah. such a rewarding feeling. So that wait after each like a like a chapter or a part, there is some sort of assignment after each one of them. Yeah. So each so each of the fifty two lessons. So there's a there's a lesson and then there's a challenge for it. So it's technically fifty two lessons and fifty two challenges. Um, so you know something that can keep one one a week with the idea of you can focus on one concept a week and then you're starting through kind of talking through camera settings and then going through lighting, uh, going through prop styling and composition and food styling and storytelling and then ending with sort of the overall gist of um, how to stay inspired and how to keep the creativity flowing. Uh, even so it when goes basically I'm- through all the process of photography. Yep. Start, start to end. So all through there, all through there. So we'll make sure to get you a copy though. I'll make sure to get your address before we're done here. So it can get you, get you a signed yeah. copy. Absolutely. I really would love to see it. Yeah. I really yeah. want to. Yeah. Nice. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's so exciting. So how long did it took again for you to launch the book? So we, I signed the contract. I want to say it was, it was right around when the pandemic started. So it was around um, oh, yeah. February, March, timeline of 2020. Uh, and then I had the manuscript completed by July and then all of the photography finished by the end of August and then got to see then the production. Then we went into kind of the design phase and a lot of that work was done by the publisher. So then I got to see the first kind of completed version of it by around September. Uh, and then we, and then we announced it, I think in October, November timeframe. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely a long process. It's one of those things that it's, uh, it, 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 although I think in contrast to, you know, other folks who I've talked to in their book writing experiences, you know, it was fairly quick. Uh, but yeah, that's what I thought actually. It was fairly <laughs> but, quick, wasn't it? Well, it's, it's yeah. long when you look at it, like it's a whole right. year. But, right. Uh, but yeah, it was about, it was about a year to, to do everything from, uh, yeah, the, the idea creation to the writing, uh, to the, to the photography. So, so fairly quick in that sense, but, um, but I think timing wise, it worked out well too, because it was the pandemic. And so I wasn't necessarily out and about like I usually was, and we're kind of stuck at home. And so it was, uh, it was, I think fortuitous timing in that regard that, that, you know, we were all locked down. So I was working on a book. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a that's a good timing, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, again, congratulations. I think it's so exciting. It, it must feel special. It does. It does. And just to see, I mean, you know, this is such an international audience, you know, there's people all over the world that do food photography. So to see the book showing up in the Philippines and Mexico and Canada and Europe, it's, it's like yeah. unreal. it is absolutely unreal. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. We have got some questions from the audience. Um, for you, if that's okay. Absolutely. So, was Someone asking, <laughs> okay, someone was asking, how do you keep your spirits up on making YouTube videos? Because I think like you, you upload a new video every two weeks or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a while I was doing every week and then I was like, that's a lot. And sometimes I do, like if I've got a lot of ideas and I'm excited and, yeah. um, you know, I never try to push it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that I just am so grateful for the <laughs> For the, the people that are excited to watch this content and I yeah. again it always comes back to knowing that this is something that people want um and that I'm excited to make and so you know it's this funny thing though of every video I ever make I'm always it, it's gotten easier over time but I'm always oh. very nervous to publish the videos because right it's very vulnerable to put your content out onto the internet and go uh -huh. What are people going to think? Um, but it's gotten easier and easier over time. But, uh -huh. you know, I think that it's it's something I've prioritized. It's something that's important to me. And I just always think about, I mean, I've met so many people through this YouTube adventure and, you know, people like you and, um, you know, all the friends that we have on the internet. And so I just always think, oh, I'm so excited because they really wanted to know how to do this. You know, I did one. Yeah. Um, shooting with a Kukaloris recently with the false windows. And there were like very specific people who had asked for that video, who I know what they do and I know their lives and their work and I follow them on Instagram. And so I was excited to make that video. So like, here it is. This is how I do it. And they're like, yes, you know? So um, I think that it's that connection to the audience and um, mm -hmm. just super thank I'm thankful, you know, that people, that people think it's interesting or exciting or that it's helping them. Um, so that definitely continues to propel the content. So as long as there's an audience who's excited about what I'm doing, I'm excited to produce the videos. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Oh, that's a beautiful answer. Okay, 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 okay. Um, are there any books that inspire you as an entrepreneur and or artist? Ooh, good question. Um, I have always been a huge fan of Seth Godin. Um, who he's written many, many books. Um, and I think I own most of them. Uh, and I just always find his take on creativity and marketing so refreshing uh, mm -hmm. and unique and definitely helps to balance me out. <laughs> so I think that that's, uh, that's definitely one. Um, I've always, I'm trying to think who else. You know, business-wise, I definitely watch my sh fair share of Gary V videos um, to get pumped up. Yeah, but I have yeah, to be yeah. careful watching his content because I definitely can also get into that. And I know that he's, you know, preaching against it, but I still get into that, like, uh -huh. produce, 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 like, kind of that hustle culture mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's never yeah. a good place for me to be in because that uh – -huh 
that's not where I do my best work. So I think there's so much valuable. I'm a big fan of like not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like I think we just have to be mindful about um, what's the perspective of these people and, and what's most helpful to us. But um, I'm trying to think of, I'm sure there's plenty of others that I'm just not thinking off the top of my head. Um, I, I, before I was a food photographer, I was in sales. And so um, there's a book by David Sandler and it's, um, Sand, it's the Sandler sales method, which was the method I was taught, um, in learning sales. And it's really, it, it comes down to a lot of really good quality listening, asking great questions of the people that you're working with, your prospective clients, mm-hmm. um, and kind of connects to my background uh, where I, I did study in graduate school, I studied counseling. And so it kind of it taps into how counseling mm-hmm. and selling are very um, similar in that way to really understand people's mm-hmm. needs and really actively listen and things like that. So um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book. It's You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a seminar. Um, uh-huh. So it's, uh, but yeah, David Sandler, that's, that's a great read as well. So I have, um, you know, shelves and shelves of, you know, kind of Dan Pink, he was another big marketing guru. And um, Michael Hyatt is somebody else whose work I've followed over the years. Uh, but, you know, I think, too, I've gotten to this place where I try to really listen to my intuition. I think the last couple of years, there's been so many like, entrepreneurship gurus and experts and people who tell you how you're supposed to run your business. And I always, I've, I've tried different things like trying to set up this funnel or trying to do this email marketing thing or try to, you know, but I always come back to, it just doesn't feel like me. And that doesn't feel like the way that I want to treat, like to me, the people who I teach, like this is a relationship, you know? And so how do I want to be treated? So I always kind of come back to that. And I, I listen to the gurus, but I don't let the gurus tell me too much if it feels inauthentic to Mm -hmm. um, the way that I want to run my business. Cause I think there's a lot of different ways we can do it. And anybody who says like, you have to do email marketing this way, or you have to do, um, you know, your social media this way is somebody who's probably selling something. So, you know, taking all of that with a grain of salt, keeping the good, um, but always coming back to what what feels right to my intuition. Yeah, makes sense. That was a very good answer. New <laughs> new sources for me as well. I heard. I did. So that's exciting. I did. I'm gonna check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, let's take one more. So somebody says. Okay, this is quite a broad one, so I'm not sure if we can answer it quick, but uh, not familiar with artificial light, natural only. Where would you suggest to start? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd start on my YouTube channel. Uh-huh, that's a good one. Resource. And your course, your course was really good, but that I followed your course and it was super helpful to start with, for sure. Thank mm-hmm. you. Sorry, yeah. I answered for you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm glad. I'm so glad because that's exactly, you know, what I created that course for. So my artificial academy, 
um, which I know is not necessarily in everybody's budget, but it is something that, you know, I really wanted to create because I know what it was like to feel like, okay, I need to learn this skill, but I feel so incredibly overwhelmed. I don't know what gear I need. I don't know where to start. So I do have a gear guide um, that I'll be sure to get you the link for as well. That's that yeah. really breaks down all the different kinds of lights um, and where, you know, in terms of budgets and in terms of like what you're trying to do. Uh, and then, yeah, then jumping into the artificial academy, because really like it, it takes you my, like to me, the, the person who's perfect for my academy is somebody who's proficient in natural light shooting feels like, okay, I understand manual mode I understand mm -hmm. photography and all these other I just don't get this artificial lighting thing and so really taking you from start to finish and I've continued to perfect and update and um, make that course better and better because now there's been lots of students who've come through it so to me like mm -hmm. you know I, I try I try not to do a hard sell but I'm so incredibly proud of that um, course and so incredibly proud of all the students who come through it and just seeing like the work that they create and the freedom that they feel and the control that they have over their lighting and I'm sure you felt this way too that once you really dig into artificial lighting and you understand it from kind of a uh, like the science of light and things like that and you start to see artificial lighting that you see natural light in like a whole new way that I feel like it really opened up my yeah, eyes and that so true kind of expanded differently. So, um, so yeah, so I'm glad, to, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for that plug. No, it was great. It was a great start for me. That's what like made a start for me to shoot with artificial light. And now I just basically almost always shoot with artificial light, to be honest, because it's just way more control and you can still kind of recreate that natural light feel with the artificial light. So yeah. thanks. Thanks. Thank you for, for that you amazing. Lose all that magical action you can just get it all yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly it would be hard because not always you can do it with natural light because if the day is very dark like mm -hmm. you just sometimes cannot do that action you know and i always mm -hmm. want that action and you do and you do it beautifully <laughs> i love yep, it yep yep okay um Good. So I think uh, I think these are good audience questions. Now we're going to move to the closing questions. So I have a couple of closing questions for you. First of all, like it seems like you're having fun at your work. What is most fun for you at your work? Um, that's a good question. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that because I feel like, you know, I've been doing this yeah. for almost four years now um, in terms mm -hmm. of the team side of things. And I feel like, okay, where where is this going? What's sort of the next step? And I, I keep coming mm -hmm. back. I really, I love it when I see people, you know, master something that they haven't known before. But I also really love the community connection, um, the ability to to connect in smaller groups. And so trying to think of ways that I can infuse that more into the educational offerings that I have, um, because I think that so much of how I've been able to grow is through those relationships and through knowing other photographers who are, you know, at my same place in my journey or people who are further ahead and being able to connect in a community. So that, that is definitely something that makes me super happy. Um, and two, I just really love, I mean, this is like so nerdy, but I really love to design curriculum. Like I really like to say, uh -huh. okay, we're going to teach this thing. Like what is the most efficient and effective way to do that? And what is going to really engage people? Like it's so uh -huh. like, I feel so happy when I'm just sitting there with, you know, a notepad and writing uh -huh. out 
the outline for a workshop or for a course or something like that. So trying to, um, you know, take opportunities to do more things like that. But, but then also, you know, just cooking food and taking pictures of it. Like that just never, never gets old for me. And I, you know, just this past yeah. week, I spent some time just doing some food photos for my food blog, you know, cause I'm like, I still have that. I don't make any, I don't really make many money off it, but it is like so much fun for me. And it's uh-huh. something that I enjoy and it taps into kind of that free creative play that, you know, there's, there's not like some big pressure on this. So it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's just fun. And so, um, so yeah, I think that any opportunity that I have to do that is really, really good as well. Awesome. Yeah. It's important to have fun when you do your job. That's why like portfolio shoots are also, I think so important than those moments of cooking something and shooting something for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Um, not for client, let's say is, um, Absolutely. The more that's like, yeah. like such an important thing to work into your schedule, you know, because I think we can mm-hmm. get so yeah. wrapped up in all the things we have to do. And so prioritizing those things that, that make you happy. Yes. <laughs> yep. Very, very important. Okay, awesome. Um, do you have because you already mentioned recommended books uh, for the, you know, entrepreneurial uh, side of the business, but for the, let's say, to learn food photography, what would be your recommended books or influencers or? Yeah, oh, there's so many teachers out there. I mean, I collaborate a lot with my friend Rachel from Two Love Studio. She has an mm-hmm. incredible course on it. You know, people say, oh, you create a Lightroom course. I'm like, no, Rachel has created it. And it's wonderful. <laughs> Everybody should take that. Um, and this is her Photoshop course. It's incredible and uh-huh. it's a wonderful resource. She's she really enjoys retouching, and so um, and mm-hmm. she really enjoys the post process. And so it's really fun um, to get to collaborate with her. Um, and Lauren Karras from uh, that Sage and Food Photography Academy, um, mm-hmm. Christina Peters from Food Photography Club, and Scott Cucino, who he's at uh, Tin House Studios. Um, and I think that we all kind of come with different perspectives and different experiences uh, and different mm-hmm. ways of teaching. So it's really neat to do that. And Skyler from We Eat Together is incredible. Oh, yeah. His mm-hmm. channel, like he's he was, I think there before any of the rest of us and so he's been doing it a long long time has some great um, resources and courses but I would say like the book that had the biggest impact on um, my learning when I you know the thing that really kind of opened my eyes up in a lot of ways to food photography and it's not a food photography book but it's um, light science and magic Uh, and it is a sick textbook and it is most people who are not into photography would find it horribly boring. I found it riveting uh-huh. and fascinating and just uh-huh. like mind blowing. Um, so that's an incredible book. And then recently I've been reading and enjoying um, a book on color called Understanding Color. And it's specifically attacking color from the perspective of a designer. And so I think that that's really interesting and how that impacts because certainly food photography, you know, um, design elements are important in what we do because especially in commercial photography that we're trying to influence uh, buyers. We're in t- trying to influence people to take some sort of action or to do something. And so understanding the elements of de- design related to color, um, super helpful as well. So that's that's a great book. But yeah, I have a, I have a whole library um, of books. Maybe I need to put together like, here's my <laughs> big old reading book. So all my favorite yeah. books. 
So, um, yeah, there's so many great books out there and, and new books being written all the time. Um, B. Lubis, her book, How to Photograph mm-hmm. Food is incredible. And then Kimberly from The Little Plantation, who you had on recently, yeah. um, her creative food photography book. I mean, you know, and people say, oh, well, you know, which one? I'm like, yeah, all of them. Because all of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. different. different one perspective in the way that you approach yeah. food photography and you don't want just one influence. I think it's the culmination of a lot of different inputs that can really help us to cultivate because that's always like my highest goal in anything that I do is I really want to encourage people to create what it is that they feel most drawn to and and create what feels authentic to them. I don't want to just like show them how to do something. I want to show them the foundations behind it so that they can, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, don't just fish for somebody, show somebody, you know, teach them how to fish as opposed to giving them a fish. So that's always kind of where I, where I approach my education is I want, I want you to figure it out for yourself so you can then bring your own skills to it, that you're not going to just, you know, be a, be a cookie cutter of my work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for sharing these amazing sources. Yeah. Um, so then the final question would be, where can the listeners find you? Great question. So pretty much everything all leads back to the Um, That links out to my YouTube channel and my Instagram and my email list and all my courses. So that would be the one-stop shop, the Amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Joni, for joining me on this podcast. This was so wonderful to talk to you. So much great information and a lot of notes to put in the episode notes because there were so many sources, which is, uh, which is amazing, to be honest. That's good. No, and thank you so much for having me and for hosting this podcast. I think it's so great to hear everybody's story. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing this. Yay. Thanks.